0: Hello, Hello and welcome again. This is another edition of On the Barricades, your favorite Eastern European political show on the internet, and I'm Bojan Stanislavski. I'm your host, and Maria Chernat, who's here, is the co-host of the show. Hello, Maria. Hello. And we say hello again to Stanislav Bishok, who is our special guest and uh, I explained everything about him and about the context of our discussion in the first part of the program. So please, if uh, you haven't seen the first part, go ahead and uh, see the first part in order uh, to get everything, uh, all of the insightful comments <coughs> from our guest. We're talking about Russia, Ukraine, we're talking about Eastern Europe and also the global situation that is uh, shaping up as an outcome of the meetings that uh, Occurred two weeks ago in Geneva and in Vienna between Russia and America between Russia and NATO and the OSCE and so on and so forth and of course afterwards uh, between Blinken and Lavrov, but in this in this uh, segment uh, I'd like to uh, begin by discussing the sanctions because we spoke about like other elements that are uh, sort of shaping up the dynamic between America and Russia today, but you know let's focus for a while on the sanctions because. It, it seems like there is a there's a lot of misunderstanding. On the one hand, people consider many people consider sanctions as something that is just like a small, you know, a punishment. Like you can just, you know, if the kid doesn't behave, you can send them to I don't know, stand for five minutes in the corner uh, of your room or kitchen or something, right? So th- that's how sanctions are perceived by the i would say naive part of the public opinion then there are you know some people who uh who sort of uh, feel that you know sanctions they should be used more often in order to prevent a uh, hot war and of course i am all for preventing a hot war but i don't think that sanctions are are really an instrument uh, that uh, that necessarily uh, uh, actually helps the situation i mean uh, it does actually prevent a hot war sometimes it could ac- accelerate uh, in preparations for such a hot war and i think th- there's a lot of misunderstanding but the major misunderstanding here is that there is a, a widespread belief that russia could be strangled by those sanctions and once the russian people live uh, bad enough they will turn against putin and other evil you know people in the in the russian administration they will take them down and afterwards they will invite the west and russia will thrive and you know everything's going to be uh great so obviously this is not the case but i'm wondering like you know is russia can russia really be impressed anymore by being threatened with sanctions because you know what sanctions are actually left to be introduced anymore i mean there could be some sanctions against the sovereign debt maybe but most of the debt isn't in dollars anymore i mean russian uh, sovereign debt then there could be this swift detachment this is like they they're going to touch russia from swift well guess what if you had done that in 2014 Perhaps that would have made sense. But now it doesn't make much sense because Russia is prepared for this. They have been developing their own uh, uh, interbanking system. They have been developing their own card, uh, credit card and debit card systems. So, you know, they are, they're just going to use this now. So please go ahead, uh, Stanislav, and tell me, what do you think about this, this sanction madness that, that is playing itself out?
1: Well, sanction madness once again. I'm a I'm an optimist here. Sanction madness is better than war madness. Okay, so okay, yeah. Uh, if you're into for the credit, yes. Than, than you have like a, a regular war. Uh, of course, I mean sanctions matter. I mean, as a person who frequently visits grocery stores and whatnot, I mean, if compare to compa- comparing with two thousand and thirteen, let's say, I pay. I believe like forty or fifty percent more for the same package I buy, mm. uh, and in this case I'm, I'm 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 not buying like too much, and I I know the prices, so the prices are. I mean I know that the prices on food they are growing everywhere, but not fifty percent, right? So yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Of course. And also you have to import your carrots from Israel now, so obviously it's a long way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but some, some but, but, well, we have some, some homegrown uh, yeah. uh, uh, fruits and vegetables as well uh, after after the sanctions regime, so they, they are thriving. Uh, uh, well, sanctions matter, but not uh, in a, in a way expected. So uh, I, I'm thinking of no, perhaps with the exception of South Africa, but I'm, I'm not so sure that sanctions generally do not uh, prompt regimes to change. But sanctions usually can uh, prevent regimes from uh, going on with certain policies. If we remember the the initial uh, uh, the initial sanctions which were imposed by by the EU and uh, and the United States against Russia after the uh, beginning of the Donbas conflict, basically at the time it was believed that Russia, pro-Russian let's say, breakaway republics and uh, rebels, etc. they were aiming to, well, to go as far as Kiev, because they had really uh, uh, virtually no resistance from the regular army, because back in the day there was the, uh, the, uh, the uh, regular army of Ukraine was in a bad shape, uh, to put it mildly. But after the sanctions were introduced, this advance of pro-Russian rebels, just abruptly stopped. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not sure it's a coincidence. I'm not sure it is. So, in this case, I mean, if we if we presume that the general idea in the Kremlin was or some of the ideas was to uh, to to uh, go as far as the Dnieper River and to let's say to, to capture Kiev, so it, it never happened. And I guess right. It, <clears throat> so
0: yeah, please case, uh, finish I mean, your in thought.
1: case so sanctions really worked if if it was the intention of Kremlin. okay
0: but so yeah i get this the sanctions uh did work at that point and i think that uh, this is precisely the difference in the situation which the west doesn't seem uh, to to be able to wrap their head around which is that russia in 2014 was totally unprepared for most sanctions including swift detachment that would cause probably a lot of problems to russia back then but since 2014 Uh, You know, Russia has been preparing uh, gradually and uh, rather steadily, I would say. To uh, more hostile actions on the part of the West against Russia, and has been strengthening its alliance with China. Uh, and I wonder whether Rush, the, the Russian administration, or the Russian public, ma- uh, pu- you know, the Russian public for that matter, are impressed in any way when they hear, "Oh, you know, Russia going to pay if they," because this is the talk that we hear here. Russia is going to be made to pay once you know they invade Ukraine, and which is going to happen, you know, anytime soon. We keep uh, hearing that from uh, since early. Uh, November, and uh, and is there? Does it produce any sort of reaction, or is it just like you know the Russians shrug their shoulders and go like, okay, yeah. Well, it's hard to impress Russians
1: nowadays. Uh, <laughs> okay. Generally speaking, I mean, I mean, uh, I as as a Russian, as, as a regular Russian citizen, I, ju- I just know that I will pay. Even more for for the same kind of goods I buy in markets. Okay, so it's not yeah. about like uh, breaking Russia, tearing Russia's economy apart. It's just uh, making the uh, the lives of ordinary Russians uh, more uh,
0: exactly uh,
1: more. Yeah. And, and so,
0: what what is this supposed to achieve? Okay, the Russians are gonna have more. They are gonna have to endure more hardships. Like, how is this gonna help solve the Ukrainian question? I have no idea. But you know, this is. Uh, uh, Let's let just leave it to the imagination of the people that believe that sanctions are going to work uh, some magic here. L- let me go uh, go back to the question of international relations and the reshape uh, that was produced uh, by Russia in December by putting forward those ult- ultimatums. Some call it or, you know, draft treaties and so on and so forth. So, uh, <clears throat> and, and also in connection to the, to the sanctions, uh, let's talk about Nord Stream two and uh, you know the certification. Of Nord Stream two that is being delayed now, uh, uh, for all I know, Nord Stream two is already full of gas and 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 is ready to basically deliver whatever amount is uh, is required, and uh, the kind of deliberations around uh, the certification of it uh, they seem to be something like a bureaucratic obstacle. Which uh, I think occurred right after Joe Biden actually lifted the sanctions on the companies that are uh, that were constructing from the German side constructing or doing something about this. I can't remember exactly uh, about Nord Stream Two. He lifted the sanctions, but then you know suddenly the certification occurred. So it was like a concession to the Russians, but not to the full extent, I suppose. But then you know everybody seems to forget that Nord Stream Two is not a Russian idea from the beginning. Uh, because this is how it's presented. Russians have built this pipeline and they, I don't know, somehow teased the Germans into it. And now everybody's trembling before the Russians because they can blackmail everyone with uh, their gas policies and so on and so forth, which is all BS. I don't want to go and deconstruct that like right now, maybe on some other occasion, but let's, let's at least say for the record that Nord Stream 2 was originally a German idea. That was a German idea. And, you know, I think it's going to be very, it's going to be looking very stupid if, if under the pressure of the Americans, the Germans uh, are not able to carry out their own idea of having, uh, of importing gas from Russia. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering because you know this Nord Stream 2 thing seems to be actually splitting the West to some extent. I mean, especially when you see Europe, uh, there are those countries which are still serious countries despite the general crisis of leadership in Europe and in the world, I would say, but in Europe, it's particularly uh, visible. But say the F- Franco-German part of the European Union, they kind of want to 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 go ahead with the Nord Stream two, they want to go ahead with you know settling the thing with Russia and Ukraine. They don't want to to have any more conflicts, and in particular, they don't want to see any war uh, playing itself out. And and uh, you know the prices of gas and everything. There are elections coming. You know this is this is a complicated situation for them, let alone for businesses in both of those countries. And then there's the part of Europe that I like to refer to as as Britain led. I mean Britain and and then all the Baltics, the Pole, you know Poland, Romania. And all the kind of hokish uh, little states, except for uh, for for Britain, which is not a little state, of course. Uh, they they kind of want to go for war now. Let's just take down Russia immediately. And of course, this. Oh, division you is... should
2: hear the talks in Romania. They yeah. are exquisite. I should send some print screen uh, to yeah, you. Next you time we're going to produce
0: some memes about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to show them here. But but I
2: mean, but, but the look, I... are a real threat you should be worried about yeah, yeah you
0: should you should be really afraid of it. no no but but like just just uh do, do you think that this might have been one of the goals of the russian diplomacy perhaps to sort of achieve this kind of splitting of opinions that's why they perhaps pushed it to the brink with uh, the draft treaties and and you know uh their uh, more uh, assertive behavior uh, is, it, is it something that is good for Russia? Is Russia going to be able perhaps to discuss on a bilateral basis with some of the governments of the European Union? Is this somehow better for Russia? I'm wondering because uh, like what does the Russian media say about it? What is your uh, opinion about it and uh, what is the policy of the administration, of course? Go ahead. Well, generally speaking,
1: I mean uh, I'm a frequent guest at Russian political talk shows and the, the general idea uh by by the by the hosts and by the majority of guests who are like say fiercely patriotic is that there is a chaos in the eu and they have stupid leaders and they sort of which is uh... not
0: far from the truth by the way but that's yeah
1: Yeah, but they, they at least i mean i mean you know there is a a great anecdote between the freedom of speech in the uh in the ussr and in the united states I mean, there was a dialogue, let's say, between between President Nixon and uh, uh, Bre- uh, uh, Secretary General Brezhnev about the freedom of speech. And uh, Nixon said, hey, I mean, every American citizen can come to the White House, shout that he hates uh, President Nixon and America and get away with it. And the uh, General Secretary Brezhnev said, hey, we have the same thing in Moscow. Every." soviet citizen can come to moscow shout that he hates president nixon and get away with it okay <laughs> right. so i mean that, that's that's how it works uh, until until today by the way uh, mm-hmm. on the russian media so you know, the general impression is that uh, the europeans don't uh, don't know what they want and they sort of uh, make uh concessions to the united states and by uh, trying to stop the uh the certification of Nord Stream 2 and whatnot, they sort of uh, uh, making be- uh, worse for themselves because they will uh, uh, have a, a cold winter and they, some of them will freeze to death without the Russian gas. But gen- generally speaking, yeah, I agree with you that uh, Nord Stream 2 is not a Russian project. It's a joint German-Russian project, and it has to do with the need of Germany uh, to have uh, enough gas it needs to hit itself, right? So uh, in, in this case, I mean, if we're speaking about this this uh, market, of course, if you have, let's say, three markets at, at, uh, near your house, it's better to have like uh, to be able to buy from all three of them, not only just one market. Okay, so it's it's it doesn't mean that uh, uh, the Germans will uh, get a hundred percent of the gas they need from. From this Nord Stream Two pipeline, so it's 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 about diversification, right? So, and uh, if the uh, pipes that uh, run through Ukraine, for example, if they were enough, and if they were, uh, let's say, if Ukraine were, were a reliable, a hundred percent reliable partner, of course, there would be no need for uh, building this additional Nord Stream Two pipeline. Okay, so uh, in this case, I mean, uh, those uh, some some experts they. Uh, speak about like speak about pipes instead of speaking about gas i mean it's 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 about gas not about pipes okay so if 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 germany were so happy to to be able to uh provide its citizens with with uh, its own home uh, home produced gas there would be no need for for these uh external supplies okay so in this case i mean it's not whether or not germany loves russia most than than the uk does it's about mm. gas, so it's, and, but of course, I mean, those people who say that uh, by pushing this project ahead, Russia wants uh, to be, uh, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to better its own uh, its own image in the West. Of course it wants, but it, it, that's how it works. It doesn't. It, yeah, it, it what's doesn't wrong work. with
0: it? Like wanting yes. to have a better image. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: of course, it's, it's, uh, it's the basic idea of a liberal international relations theory is that the more you trade, uh, the more agreements you have with the different countries, uh, the more joint organizations you all uh, like uh, part of, uh, the less likely you will have difficulties between yourself. Okay, so in this case, I mean uh, there is nothing wrong with this, uh, with this Nord Stream two, and and indeed, I mean that's uh, in in this uh, in this regard, I'm uh, I, I'm on the side of of, of the Kremlin, meaning that uh, of course, if if you don't want to buy our gas. You shouldn't. Okay, so that, that's how it
0: works, right? And before I hand it over to you, Maria, uh, and and the media and stuff, I, I just wanted to uh, to also mention that there is another element of this narrative that you just mentioned, uh, Stanislav, that you know Russia wants to sell gas to Germany and it wants to leverage uh, Ukraine that way or Poland for for that matter, because you know it's also going through Poland, right? I mean the. Uh, the pipeline so yeah first of all it 's not about it 's not about the infrastructure it 's really about the gas that Europe needs, and this has been shown by the uh, conditions that are all around us here in Europe, in a sense that we had a relatively mild winter so far, and uh, the, you know the gas reserves are so low, historically low. So, uh, and, you know, all those tankers that were coming, I think, two or three weeks ago that were coming, you know, from the U.S. to save Europe because everything's going to be okay. Russians are not going to be blackmailing or threatening us here with anything. We've got the 40 tankers. They were first 20, now 40, uh, whatever. Most of them actually went to to Britain, which is outside the EU. You know, so that's first one. Second, you know, while they were still on the road to Europe, uh, you know, while they were while well, they haven't yet even approached the continent there was this uh, talk in the american media where you know experts and stuff were saying like good no problem we're going to send those 40 uh, ships there but are is anyone really counting on america providing gas to europe and for europe like you know this is impossible we simply don't have that much gas you know, so like, obviously, you know, it speaks to to the quality of, of, the, of the European leadership, but I think it also speaks to the question of departure from, from logical thinking. I mean, this is something that is really worrying me in terms of international politics, because sometimes you, you just, you know, you look at it and you go like, is there any adult in the room, you know, <laughs> with, with, with situations like that? So, uh, yeah, well, it, I, the, the, there's a lot to comment on about that. But uh, please, Maria, over to you.
2: Well, this speaks a lot to the <clears throat> to the power of propaganda. My idea uh, and the idea of other media theories that was not explained, probably not debated enough, is that unfortunately, uh, there is no match for Western propaganda. They do it and they do it so well. And it is so seductive and it is so efficient that no other power on the face of the world could be a match for that. And you should not underestimate the force of that. And I would just tell one thing. When the U.S. and the NATO military bases were finally, um, I mean, the agreement was done and the the tanks, the actually military equipment came to Romania, there were people with flowers in the streets. Can you imagine Like during the First World War. (laughs) People, like... They truly believed, like Woodrow Wilson was acclaimed as a war hero at the peace conference in Paris. Not something like that, but still people were cheering up and there is a vast majority of Romanian population that still thinks that... They buy into all that seductive propaganda, that the Americans are here for the people, that they want to impose a democratic system where everybody would thrive, no matter uh, how poor, uh, that uh, they are here to support democracy, the rule of law, and all the rest. They truly buy into that. Now, the Russians were never, ever able to... Uh, accomplish something like that. I mean, if in Romania, you would say to somebody that the Russian tanks are coming, they would go berserk. (laughs) They would be hysterical. And uh, the problem is, I would come back now to Ukraine. Don't you fear that maybe in Ukraine, I don't know what's the situation, but since you obviously studied because you wrote two books that I invite the readers to to check up and read on Ukraine, Don't you fear that maybe the Ukrainians buy into that propaganda just like us Romanians and really think that they are so much better off with uh, the West and the NATO bases there, and they would live happily ever after, like at least the top 1% in the uh, United States once the NATO bases are there? Because this is the real danger, you know, that the minds of the people are being colonized.
1: Well, uh, generally speaking, of course, uh, the United States is attractive worldwide, and uh, uh, not only by its military might, because uh, there are people who are just don't care about military might, but uh, we all watch uh, American TV series and whatnot. So in this case, you do not need a minister of propaganda when you have Hollywood and uh, uh, and Microsoft and, and Google and Apple. So in this case, so it's a uh, it's an un- unintended consequence of uh, of certain like economic uh, economic uh, advantages of uh, of the American project, so to speak. Uh, as for Ukraine, I mean uh, it's hard to say because I mean, uh, this uh, conflict in Donbas, it claimed uh, around 15,000 lives. And uh, of course, there are people in Ukraine in Ukraine proper. Who lost some of their relatives, or who have somebody who, like, who was injured during this uh, during this conflict, uh, who were in the military at the time. So to say that, well, uh, uh, I mean, uh, but it was it was not the United States who sent them to to Donbas, or, or at least they they do not feel it that way. So in this case, the the reality is that nowadays, about let's say. I mean according to opinion polls it's around 50 percent maybe 60 percent of ukrainians generally approve of joining nato i mean it, it has something to do not only with with hollywood but with russia okay so in in this case i mean prior to 2014 i mean uh the the percentage was lower it was like around 30 percent were pro pro-western pro nato around like 40 percent were more pro-russian or neutral and also there were a lot of undecided people nowadays the situation is as we see and those even those people who are not staunchly anti-russian they are not necessarily pro-russian so uh, i mean they just want maybe their country to to be left alone because uh i mean uh, despite the fact that they also consume all these talk shows in ukraine and uh, uh, in, in Ukrainian talk shows, when they speak about Russia, the uh, um, uh, the let's say the the space for conciliatory position towards Russia is much lower than the space towards pro-Ukrainian position in in the Russian media. Uh, to that I admit. I mean that that's that's surely the case. But once again, uh, to to be an, an advocate uh, to Ukraine. Uh, it's not Russia who lost some territory to Ukraine, and it's not Russia who fights rebels uh, supported by Ukraine. It's 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 the opposite situation. So in this case, I'm I'm a bit let's say I'm I'm a bit less critical uh, of uh, Ukrainian, let's say uh, the the Ukrainian government's information policy, even though I do not support it. I just understand why they do a bit, and I understand that uh, Russia is. Uh, Nowadays, when uh, decide, discussing Ukraine on certain political talk shows, they also invite uh, Ukrainian guests, and I mean Ukrainian, like uh, staunchly Ukrainian anti-Russian, who just uh, uh, with a loud voice accusing Russia of uh, uh, of invading Ukraine, annexation of Crimea, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but in this case, I mean Russia in 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 a in a stronger position here. Uh, and in, in this case, I mean surprisingly, but in this when speaking about ukrainian russian relations i mean the uh the room for different opinions uh is 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 bigger in russia than it is it, it is in ukraine but uh also i mean there is a certain element of course of uh, make believe in ukraine i mean the idea that i mean even during the maidan protests or uh, the revolution of dignity i mean there were a lot of people who really believed who were not like uh, radical nationalists or whatnot, who were like pro-European, like urban, uh, middle-class, creative-class guys, who, were, who really believed that uh, they will just in a couple of years they will join the European uh, Union or uh, the Schengen Agreement and whatnot. So they really believed that this uh, document of uh, association agreement, uh, which uh, then President Yanukovych failed to sign. It was really an agreement to to join the European Union. I mean, they, they I mean, people are people. They just believed in, in in fairy tales. Then they believed that the West will uh, eventually come to their aid, not just send them uh, javelins and whatnot, but just come to their aid because they are attacked by Russia. But uh, even the United States is very much reluctant to send their troops uh, to 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 fight. I mean, uh, to say nothing. Uh, well. Uh, military instructors are different, like different groups they are not as uh, they're not in danger of being sent to, to, to the front lines. So in this case, I mean, uh, they're desperate because they they thought that they would have some help. They thought that after uh, overthrowing Yanukovych, who was not as 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 evil and as dictatorial as the, the uh portrayed him because. And ba- also back in pro-Russian day, either yeah back back in the day i mean i remember i i worked in in ukraine for about a year just prior to the to the maidan uh to the maidan events it was so it was so so free politically speaking i mean every party every every person could get elected anywhere i mean if you had a lot of money and connections i mean it, it was impossible for you not to be registered as a candidate uh, running for for any anyone may, may, maybe if you just if you if you just uh uh, uh failed to uh to collect any any number of uh, of uh, of uh, signatures maybe in, the, in that case but it again it, it would be a a national scandal if you were not uh if you were not uh like uh, allowed to run so back in the day it was it was it was a a country it was a territory of freedom and a lot of uh, russian uh uh, spin, uh, political spin doctors they they were frequent uh, guests in Ukraine because there was a lot of demand for for Russian expertise because uh, in Russia the the elections are <laughs> much less competitive than than it than they were and then they are in Ukraine but nowadays it, it's it's more difficult for Russian. Uh, specialists to, to to come to Ukraine, but but back in the day, I mean, it, it, it was better. And uh, but it's not fashionable nowadays in Ukraine to remember the pre-Maidan uh, uh, life, at, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, as being better than than what they had now. But they claim that. If not for for the annexation of Crimea and for the war in in Donbas, they would live like happily like like in Poland or I don't know where. So I mean, they 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 blame Russian uh, they blame Russian aggression for for the for the failures of the post-Maidan governments to deliver on pro-European like path.
2: Yes, and, and this is uh, this is a thing I, I, I would say that the Americans and the Westerners are using because uh, when you have a population that is uh, mm-hmm. its vast majority pro-Western and actually buys into that, it's it's a major I would say advantage. But I would say it's also very unfortunate because as it turns out in Romania, we were so happy to have all these things that were supposed to make us live happily ever after, but it never happened. And uh, things uh, like prosperity, sovereignty, democracy, they do not just happen just like that because you have two NATO military bases or... Uh, Join the European Union and or all Coca-Cola of Coca Cola for things, that
0: matter.
2: Coca Cola for that matter. And all of the sudden things are going to, to get uh, better. Now, uh, we end uh, this uh, second segment of our show. Where we discussed uh, Ukraine, the situation, and uh, as I said previously, we discussed it with somebody from Russia because it is very important to have rational debates with rational people, and uh, I think it's the best way to reach a less um, violent in terms of discussions and, and less emotional.
0: And, also, I mean, we and, should we should emotional. just be yeah. rational about it, right? That's Russian. <laughs>
2: exactly <laughs> Exactly. so thanks so much for watching I hope you enjoyed our show if you did please click subscribe go to our Patreon page and uh, support us it is the barricade.patreon.com slash thebarricade this is the place where you can find us and uh, you can become our Patreon I invite you all to do that and um, stay healthy keep fighting and we'll see you all next week
0: thank you Thank you.